Jesus, you have joy, don't you? Stop. 
Amen. You like you. Oh. switching and uh, we didn't check that part <laughs> at least everybody's awake now yeah and maybe I can talk without the thumping I'm glad you're here I'm glad to be a friend of God and I'm glad that we are friends and we welcome you today to church on the hill thank you for coming to spend this time together May our lives be enriched in this time. We welcome those online and KTHS Radio. Thank you for being a part of the service today. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving, mail and online. So appreciated. Anybody wants to help us, it's that time of year again for the radio renewal. Yes, mark your gift as radio and we'll be sure that it gets there and help us provide. It's hard to believe it's four years. It's gone pretty fast. So we're thankful that you could join us today. Remember, next Sunday, the time change. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, fall back. <laughs> You're going to get some trouble stirred, buddy. <laughs> uh, spring forward. Yeah, so uh, keep that in your plans. Tonight, the ladies' meeting, 5.30. Be sure and remember next week, the men at 6. And great things going on. Turn with me to Luke, the fourth chapter this morning. I want to primarily focus on verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Breaking the bondage of bruises. It's a thought for today. Now, if this does not directly apply to you today, maybe this understanding will help you help someone else because it is a very real element of the living of life. As an introduction this morning, I want to show you a picture here. We've got some testing going on in my monitor anyway. The bullfighter. He works the bull with the cape, right? Is that the idea of it? does that to weaken that bull, wears him down, 
so he might destroy. I've always wondered about this kind of an amazing, how you can have a tremendously strong bull. What will they weigh? Ton, ton and a half? A big one? 1,500, 2,000 pounds. Okay. And you got a 150-pound man there. I mean, this is just calculating the numbers, it doesn't make sense. If that bull ever figured out that the enemy is not that cape, that matador's in trouble. Big trouble. Sometimes in thinking of that, you know, <clears throat> it reminds me of some applications of church life today. Too many times we as the church appear to be something like the sleeping giant. In other words, we have all the power, ability, anointing, and strength and promises to overcome the enemy. Is that true? Yes. And yet, if we're not careful, we spend our time chasing the cape. Because the enemy successfully employs the tactic of deceit. So consequently, too many times we spend our time and our energy chasing trivial things. As I said, this may not apply directly to you, but I'll promise you you'll be in contact with people this week, this month, that you can re rely back on this and say, have you ever considered? You know, you don't say, I know what your problem is. You just, have you ever considered that might be? What happens is they finally come to such a weakened condition that the deceiver steps out from behind the cape and rams through them the sword of defeat, and polishes them off. That's the danger. I'm tired of this today, and I am ready to expose the deceiver and accuser of the brethren. And that's, that's really who he is. The enemy is a deceiver and an accuser. And I think it's time we render him powerless. I want to see captives set free from their bruises. So let's look at the problem. Jesus promised to set at liberty them that are bruised. Notice with me a bruise. You know, it's there. It's under the surface. You know there's been a problem. Evidence of it's right there. The Greek word for bruising here carries the meaning of being crushed. Jesus came to set us free from sin and to liberate us from its consequences, sufferings, and death. Albert Barnes tells us that the word bruised here evidently has the same general signification of a brokenhearted or, a, or the contrite. In other words, being broken to the place that you begin to lose hope. 
It means those who are pressed down by great calamity or or those whose hearts have been pressed or they've been bruised by the consciousness of sin. To set them at liberty is the same as to free them from this pressure and to give them consolation. So many things of life that can cause bruises. Worries. I had a lady tell me one time, Pastor, do not ever preach on worry. If you're ever going to preach on worry, tell me so I can stay home. Because she admittedly said, I worry all the time. I don't know if I ever did preach on worry, but I probably did. But worries of life can cause these kind of bruises. It happens to those who are perplexed with problems of life. Those who are worn with excessive toil. Those who are wounded by the heavier sorrows of life, by health, reputation, position, fortune, or the object of strong and deep affection as suddenly it's been taken away by death or uh, from our teenage years, breakup. Even though liberty was his promise. We, in the practical, don't always enjoy the process of getting there. Again, too many of us find ourselves bound up, not free. We have become weakened by battling symptoms instead of problems. Maybe we spend too much time charging at the cape that appears to be in our lives, whatever it might be, a habit or an addiction or a repulsive behavior. And often it's a rejection bruise that may go back for years in our past where somebody withheld love, where somebody rejected us and we become bruised. See, a bruise is that trouble that's beneath the surface. It means the skin isn't broken. You're not bleeding except underneath it all. The surface appears to be intact, but there's trouble beneath the surface. But if you can ever get to that bruise, you can heal it, which is all of that beneath the surface that is causing the behavior that we often think is the real enemy. If we can ever get to it, we can heal it. As long as the deceiver is allowed to work, however, Romans 12 clearly tells us that the devil's two weapons, he has two weapons, Deception and accusation. That's what Revelation 12 says. And don't ever think they're not powerful weapons. And if you add to those two weapons your faith and your confidence, he has all the power he needs to defeat us. So we don't want to give it to him. Paul taught that spiritual warfare deals especially with the pulling down of strongholds. What are those strongholds? They're the lies the devil has sown into our thought process, which as we have accepted and believed them, they became reality to us. Some folks believe a lie in spite of the truth being right in front of them. Because they've listened to a lying spirit. We do not fall into sin as much as we are seduced by it. 
Every sin seems to be cloaked in some measure of deception. But as these lies are uncovered, as these lives are destroyed, as our thought processes are freed from illusions, we discover the blamelessness, perfection, and truth of Christ in us, and all that's the hope of glory. So there's a problem, but the problem is based on accusation. We cannot tolerate fault-finding and accusations. We're the ones that have to deal with fault-finding and an accusing spirit. To find an indictment against the church, it is important to note the enemy must draw his accusations from hell. Why? If we've truly repented of our sins, truly confessed and repented, no record of them nor our mistakes exist in heaven. So they have to come from hell. Those who are sympathetic to the accuser of the brother, fulfilled by application. <laughs> One verse of Scripture that I promise you, you do not ever want to be associated as being a one who's practicing it. Matthew 24, 28. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. In other words, the backbiting of these vulture-like individuals, actually it feeds the lower nature, for they seek what is dead, and they're attracted to what is dying. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to bring destruction. Frangipane said in an attempt to hinder, if not altogether halt, the next move of God, Satan has sent forth an army of fault-finding demons against the church. And that's true. The purpose of this assault is to entice the body of Christ away from the perfections of Jesus and onto the imperfections of one another. There's none of us that do not have difficulties that we have to face. We have to realize they're there. But I'll promise you, if we'll keep our eyes on Jesus, he's the perfect example. The fault finder spirit's assignment is to assault relationships on all levels. And sometimes you have to be careful because it'll masquerade as discernment, a spirit that'll slip into the opinions that we have of other people, leaving us critical and judgmental. The fault finder demons will incite individuals to spend days and even weeks unearthing old faults, old sins in somebody else. And the people who are held captive by this deceitful spirit seem to become crusaders Enemies actually of the work of God. When the Spirit infiltrates an individual's mind, its accusations come from, from the venom and intimidation that even those who should know better become bewildered, and if you're not careful, seduced by its influence. And here's the thing. Nearly all involved in this type of warfare, they take their eyes off Jesus and focus on issues. The third thing that we need to understand is important is we need to break the bondage, breaking the bondage of bruises. In our text, Jesus did not say that necessarily he came to heal the bruised. He came to set the bruised at liberty. The problem for bruised people who are 
who are rejected is not that they need healing as much as they need delivered to be set free. Too many times we neglect the fact that deliverance and healing needs to work hand in hand. In Luke 8, 2, the woman who was healed of evil spirits, the Lord did a marvelous work in her life, yes. And she went on to do great things for God, but there had to be more than just one event taking place. In Matthew 4, 24, they brought to Jesus the sick, deceived, those who were possessed with devils, and he healed them. Healing and deliverance work together. In some illnesses, you can't expect total healing without delivery. Often deliverance without healing will not work either. Some people think that if they can just come to the front of the church and have an anointed person cast the devil off of their minds and off of their lives, that they would enjoy victory. i tell you what the truth of the matter is. Others seek only manifestations of the Spirit, but no walk within the faith. Whenever we are living the Christian life, we need to be walking in this faith daily. We know from experience that unless there had been ministry to the bruise, if indeed it is a bruise, then the bondage that is brought by that bruise needs ministry just as much as the bruise does. The dangers of bruises is that they bring a potential for infection because it is the bruises that we receive, the rejection beneath the surface that attracts the enemy. Dr. Ingram said, in fact, it is a fact that a bruised flesh is a common source of infection. I think that's especially true in the spirit world. When there are bruises of rejection, there, it becomes a breeding ground for even possible demonic activity and infestation. Now we understand, now we can understand why that 25 times in the New Testament demons are, are called unclean spirits. They're unclean infections. They infest and bruise and bring infection into that bruise. The problem is not just being bruised. The problem becomes a demonic depression which comes on top of the bruise, and that's what puts them in jail. You see, in a prison, we then can't live our lives free. For some, this means addictions. Almost invariably, they have discovered that addicts almost always suffered rejection as children. So they grow up that way. And almost all are candidates. Let me ask you this. You ever had a broken heart? Probably all of us here have. All of us have had some kind of rejection. Someone who withheld love from us, and somehow that sent to us the message that we're unworthy, and they rejected us. It's a very real problem. What we have to understand is how do we find release from it? The answer is in forgiveness. Matthew 18, 21, Peter said, comes to Jesus. He says, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, that's an interesting question, wouldn't you say? 
How many times? Has anybody got anybody in their life that's kind of tested more than seven? I didn't post ask that, was it? There's a lady in Texas. And I hate these kind of true stories. But I use it today to illustrate a point. She was molested by her father. She wouldn't forgive him. He wound up in a mental institution rocking back and forth in a rocking chair. Finally, in a service, after a lot of time, she was so bound by that bruise that she decided to forgive him. She forgave him. Within one week, they received a call from the institution that said, come and get him, he's normal. That's the power of forgiveness. We're probably never more like the Father than when we forgive. Tommy was having difficulty at school because of a hearing problem. They eventually fitted him with a hearing aid. The device proved to be very helpful for his classwork. Began to improve almost immediately. But the hearing aid also became a problem for him because some of the classmates were constantly teasing him about his fake ears. One day when one of the students began poking fun at him, Tommy lost his temper and proceeded to punch his tormentor square in the nose. <laughs> Could have been a number of Wednesday night kids in this story. <laughs> but it's not ours. <laughs> I've got some. It's hard to believe. You can't, you can't even make some of this stuff up. The bloody-nosed teaser was screaming in pain, and the teacher come and intervened. She told Tommy, you've got to apologize and forgive him for his teasing. To which Tommy thought it over for a moment, and then he reluctantly said, All right, I'll tell him I forgive him, but first I'm going to turn off my hearing aid. Kind of like we are sometimes when we're a little bit guilty maybe of reaching down in Scripture and kind of plucking out a verse out of context and try to make it work in ways that God might not ever intended it to work, you know. To put it in context and then deal with the number of times. For instance, in this same passage, we like to pull out the binding and the loosing part, you know, and the binding and the loosing scriptures always found in context of forgiveness and unforgiveness. The Bible never talks about one without the other. The binding of unforgiveness and the loosing refers to forgiveness. Verse 15, Jesus sets the procedure for dealing 
with a sinning brother. The reason is to keep the church free and out of bondage. And if you don't deal with sin, it will destroy you. That's the truth for all of us. If there's sin there, we have to deal with it. Jesus lays out a procedure within the context of dealing with the offenses. He was talking about, you know, being careful with the little ones because Jesus wants to keep the church flowing. He wants to keep it free. He wants to keep it moving in victory. And as the church is free, the church is then able to help the world. So he sets forth a clear pattern of how to deal with the problem. There's really three basic steps that he sets forth here. One is to go directly to the person, stop the gossip, stop the backbiting and all the junk. Nothing hurts worse than one person telling someone else their frustrations without ever going to the right person. So when someone tries to dump on you, just ask them, have you been to so-and-so? If the answer is most always no, then, then don't talk about it to me about it. Let's go to that person and let's get to the right people. Oftentimes, they say, no, I'd rather talk to you. That the church would be free in a matter of hours, and everybody would grow up if we were to follow Christ's plan. Go directly to the person. Second step, if that doesn't work, you take others with you. If step one doesn't work, the motive is to be able to get, the, get it out in the open. Keep it from remaining under the surface. Keep it from being a bruise. And the third is if that doesn't work, you tell it to the church. Now, we may think this passage is telling us to stand up for the congregation and expose the offender. I rather think that it's important to go to spiritual leadership of the church so that they can follow through on the matter and, the, and be able to see it resolved. And it doesn't have to become a public display for everybody. It can be resolved through leadership. And if the other steps don't work, it says treat them like a publican or a heathen. Why? That's to make another attempt to get them to repent. Now, this happened differently in the old days. To, mark the, to be marked in the early days of the church was a very sobering effect. Disfellowship in the early church had teeth in it. I mean, it was different than we are today. And it was all intended to bring reconciliation to the body. And then verse 19, it goes on, and it's another one we like to pull out of context. And again, if I tell you that if any two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Agree from the Greek means, you know, symphonic. It means all instruments playing the same tune. This verse on agreement in prayer only comes into play, however, after all offenses are removed. In other words, all the hidden junk and stuff properly dealt with, then we have the power to agree. Too many agreements are based on rebellion and not the unity of the Spirit. Verse 20 says, we're two or three. What is binding the church in her unforgiveness, in her unresolved conflicts, then bruises begin to form beneath the surface. On the surface, she may look fine. She's singing, praising, worshiping, praying, dancing, lifting hands, proclaiming the word, doing all kinds of things. What is beneath? That's what's important. The enemy tries to keep, you know what? The enemy's great job is it? He says, if I can just take this church and keep them imperfect, that's all he wants to do. He's not going to try to get you to go out here and jump into some major sin. He just wants us to be a little bit imperfect. Peter understood what Jesus was teaching. 
He never did change the topic from the time he began to talk about the offense of the little ones to get to the problems of the church and get it straightened out. And Peter was simply saying, I want to know how many times. The enemy goes about to bring destruction. Peter's wanting to know not how much I was going to have to give. He just wants to know how many times I have to forgive till seven times. He thought that was pretty generous. Jesus said what? Seventy times seven. That's a lot. Got anybody in your life that gets close to that? You don't have to admit. I'm afraid that I get close to that. But that's simply setting a pattern of forgiveness. That's what that means. Setting the pattern of forgiveness. Establishing that. And then he goes on in verses 21 through 35, a wonderful passage of Scripture. Read it. It tells you the processes that takes place. And, and as the process takes place, it brings us to the place of understanding that the guy that wouldn't forgive wouldn't deal with his problem. He was the one that went into bondage. You see, there will always be opportunities for us to need to forgive. And as we live through that experience, we understand that if we will forgive, we do not go into bondage. We are healed. And really the final thing is we need to forgive Forgive us as we forgive. For this reason, we dare not live in unforgiveness. Because when I live in forgiveness, I am free. For those who will not forgive, they become bound. You see, we really don't get free until we lose others. We want to live free or do we want to live bound? That's a question we have to answer. A lot of believers on their way to heaven are really not enjoying the trip because the bondage becomes bruises and they manifest themselves in too many ways. You know, really, it's a concern for America today is the results of a whole generation that have been rejected, a generation of neglected, bruised people. And we have a responsibility to a segment of them to be able to minister the love of Christ to them. The devil always tries to get people to believe they're the only ones suffering like this. But if we as the church ever start comparing notes, we'll find out that, the, that Satan is a liar. The devil works to fragment the church. He works on all of us. But God, I believe, is ready to visit our generation. I am hearing of more salvations in the past weeks than years before. Why? It's because Jesus is moving. People want to be delivered. People don't want to be bruised. So we must follow the master's example. He did two things. He loosed him and he forgave him the debt. Too many people are living their lives with those problems beneath the surface. And they need to loose and forgive and understand the consequences of unforgiveness. 
when the Father sees us withholding from the bruiser, whoever it is, he says, I don't like that. In Hebrews 12, our Father chastens. To whom he loves, he rebukes and chastens. When you forgive the tormentors, stay in jail and you go free. Forgiveness. See, the issue of the whole aspect of it is forgiveness. Jesus shows us how unforgiveness can restrict what God would do in others. The jailed fellow servant in this story, if you'll read it, is still in prison at the story's end. Revealing the power of unforgiveness, how it binds all circumstances to a very undesirable level of a perpetual problem that goes on and on. But Jesus teaches how the spirit of forgiveness how forgiveness brings freedom. See, sin carries its own punishment. But like of forgiveness blocks access to the kingdom and to its marvelous power. There has to be forgiveness for those who have done things against us. And it, 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 it's very likely in many cases that your resentment is justified. The person may have done something very, very evil. You may have every legal and every intellectual right to hold a grudge and even hate that person. But if you want to see kingdom life and kingdom power flowing in your life, it is absolutely imperative that you forgive. And forgive them to the point where you actually feel yourself cleansed of resentment and bitterness. And you actually move into the area of being able to pray for that person. Now, I want to tell you, only Jesus can do that. Because man's flesh can't do that. As we learn how to release and forgive, Frangipane goes on and says a statement that I think is crucial. How then should we handle criticism? If we're going to be successful in the Lord's work, we've got to find God's hiding place from one of the most painful weapons Satan ever uses. And that's a critical tongue. Only heaven knows the number of people that are on the sidelines today because they could not handle criticism. Fact is, for better or for worse, it's a real fact people are going to talk about you. 
And you cannot do the will of God without causing changes, and changes will always cause some <laughs> to trip. And if Satan's attack is successful, everyone involved will leave the battle with less love and a hardened heart. It's amazing that individuals can react so differently to the same teaching. One will be uplifted and encouraged and delivered, while another will miss the Lord's blessing but actually be offended by an isolated statement. But here's what he come up with. He said, the answer to handling criticism, put on Christ. Put on Christ. Because the momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. You see, we must refuse to allow any words other than the Word of God to define our future. They don't know what they're talking about. When the accuser attacks, instead of descending ourselves to the level of his accusation, we've got to ascend to the praise and the height of Christ's exaltation and simply said, fleeing into the presence of God. Rick, as y'all come, D.L. Moody said, you might as well try to hear without ears or breathe without lungs as to try to live a Christian life without the Spirit of God in your heart. You see, the Christian life begins and continues on the foundation of forgiveness. Not on a promise of protection and help in a difficult world, but on the promise of forgiveness. Today, if you've not received forgiveness of sins, do not let the sun go down on this day without asking for forgiveness. Ask Jesus into your heart and life. I'll be there at the front to pray with you if you'd like to make this a time of commitment individually. Or if there's individuals that you know in your heart that you've just got to deal with some issues, I have some advice. Bad relationships victim from your life. Unhealthy habits, a victim from your life. Torturous thoughts, they have to go. A victim. Forgive and receive the blessings that he bestows as we are faithful to you. Oh God, my God, I need you. 
You are the same God. You are the same God. I'm calling on the Holy Spirit. Almighty River, come and fill me
same power that Jesus invoked on the cross, Father, forgive them, is in us. And when we exercise that power, we are more like God than any other time. Forgiveness. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. If you're here for the first time, Pastor Keith is in the front foyer, foyer behind you. He would love to meet with you. Don't forget, ladies, meeting tonight. Men next week. God bless you and have a great week.